I'm married to Sophie. This isn't Dale's son. This is my son that he was holding. He's called Reuben. Uh, and I know Dale looks young enough to have a son, so it could have been. Uh, so just to clear that up, that's my son. And it's his first Easter today. <laughs> there he is, first Easter day. Uh, but apparently he's not the youngest either. Thompson Nicole doing well. Got a baby called Jacob as well, part of us. So just so you know that, in case you didn't know, he's here. He's safe. Um, good. So there you go. Yep. My name is Chris here. I run, uh, I run courses at King's Church. I run Alpha. I run Just Looking, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about later on. And uh, I, I've been here for about seven years, but I was thinking about this day, Easter day, and what to say, and, and how could I say it. And the thought um, around certainty came to mind. Like how, how in this day and age can you be certain about something and even in the news this week, I don't know, you probably saw Notre Dame. Sadly, that, that old building burning down, smoke everywhere, videos around the world uh, of that happening. And then uh, people on the riverbank singing hymns out of reverence and others gasping as the steeple fell. And I personally, I was shocked as well. I, I was in that building just uh, under a year ago and I, I found myself shocked by this whole thing, not necessarily because of the destruction caused, but because actually when I was in that building, I, I felt some of the weight of its significance in history as a place of worship, as a Christian monument, as a steadfast place over 850 years. I fully expected that building to be there another 850 years. And it, it just dawned on me that when I was shocked by this, it, it wasn't necessarily because of the, the fire and the smoke, although that's all very dramatic. It was because in, in my own mind, I was certain that that building would be there. And then when it wasn't anymore, I was shocked. I thought it wasn't going anywhere, but then the fire happened. And I suppose we've all faced a moment like that where something that we might have been certain of becomes uncertain or even just living in a time that is uncertain. I mean, recently, I've lost count of the amount of commentators, archbishops, politicians who said we live in uncertain times. Uh, perhaps we'd all agree with that. And that uncertainty actually invades a lot of our world, more than you might think. Well, here's an example. When you're on social media and you see someone's feed come up of their pictures and they're out in the sunshine and they've just picked four beautiful daisies and they're holding a puppy in the other arm, it looks amazing. But is that really their life, day to day? I mean, do they ever have a bad day? Do they ever go out in the rain and not have any daisies or a puppy with them? There's uncertainty there. You can't be sure that what's projected on the social media platform is actually real life. And that really contrasts with the amount of statistics we now have around loneliness, around depression, and anxiety in the world. So that's one area. Another area is the newspapers. You could pick one up and it says that the political arena has just imploded, that's the end of it. You can pick another one that says, actually, it's going to be okay. And then you can pick up another one that says, but this is the end of the world as we know it. That's another area of uncertainty. We don't know which one might be the truth. We don't know what the future necessarily holds. And even on a wider scale, people have generally, or are generally uncertain about whether there is life after death. And it's kind of appropriate on Resurrection Day to talk about this, because if you met a humanist, a humanist would say that there is no life after death. If you met a Hindu, a Hindu might say that reincarnation is what happens when you die. And then if you met a Christian, a Christian would say there's a heaven, there's a hell. All of us are going to one or the other when we die. 
But then there's a whole load of people who consider the afterlife a possibility, but they don't know what to believe. But in the midst of all this uncertainty, I'm glad to say that Easter puts us all on a level, because we all get some time off. Ah, We all get to eat chocolate if we want to. Yay! And we all get to decide whether the resurrection story of Jesus is true or false. Because it can't be moderately true, it can't be moderately false, it has to be one or the other. And so is it? Well, whichever side you land on, you're not alone. Because if you're someone who believes in the resurrection story being true, then you're on board with millions, perhaps billions of Christians around the world who are celebrating and are super happy today. But then if you believe the resurrection story is false, then you might not be a Christian. In fact, you probably aren't a Christian, but you're not alone either. But maybe you're in the middle again. Maybe you're someone who doesn't know what you believe. You've got perhaps a friend or a relative or an associate at work who professes to knowing Jesus and him being active in in their life, but you doubt it. And you'd be much more certain of that being the case if Jesus actually showed up in front of you in a physical form and you could give him a high five. That would be enough. That would be good for you. And if that is you, then you're not alone either. One of Jesus' followers from the first century was called Thomas. He was one of the disciples who followed Jesus throughout his public ministry across three years, and he encountered Jesus doing some remarkable things. He encountered Jesus delivering teaching that was totally countercultural, like love your enemies. He saw Jesus perform miracles like walking on water and calming storms and feeding the 5,000 with like a Dairy Lee Lunchable. That was the equivalent of what he fed all those people with. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus make the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. He saw Jesus fulfill loads of Old Testament prophecies, things that had been foretold about him. But he didn't see Jesus sin. He didn't see Jesus say or do anything that broke the law or that would have been considered to be wrong at the time. But he did see Jesus raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he did see Jesus and hear Jesus predict his death on a cross, his burial, and his resurrection. And so you could be sat there thinking, well, if anyone was going to be certain about Jesus, his claim about being the Son of God being true, that would be Thomas. After all, he spent all that time with him. But interestingly, in the Gospel of John, Thomas refuses to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead despite all of that. And we're going to pick up the story in the New Testament, John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. It'll come up on the screen if you want to follow. And it's all about Thomas and what he's said and done. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciple told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and to place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. 
Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now the author of the Gospel of John, he uh, is John, and he uses the resurrection report to give us an insight into the lives of the disciples post-Easter. And Jesus had appeared to the other disciples a week earlier, and then Thomas had to wait. And John kind of outs Thomas by recording his doubts about Jesus' resurrection. Thomas declares that he will not believe unless he sees and physically experiences Jesus. And who could blame him? His friends explain that they have seen Jesus, but he hasn't. How could he be certain unless Jesus shows up? Next thing, Jesus shows up. The doors are locked again, but Jesus stands among them, and Thomas gets the evidence he needs. Jesus says, touch me, see these scars on me. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus tells Thomas that he can be certain based on this personal experience of him. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And you might think at this point, well, yeah, Thomas, he got it easy, right? He got this physical encounter with Jesus. He's the blessed one, but Jesus disagrees. Jesus says the blessed ones are those who have not seen and yet have believed, which is an interesting thing to say. Because it's as if Jesus is saying, to see me and believe is one thing, Thomas, but to have faith without seeing me in physical form in front of you is quite another. Those who put their faith in me without seeing me physically are blessed. And he's talking about Christians today. He's talking about the billions celebrating Easter around the world, the people who have placed their faith in Jesus or trust in Jesus without seeing the physical hands or feet. Now, there are some people out there who claim that Jesus has appeared to them and done that. But for the majority of us, I'd say that's not the case. And so you might sit there thinking, okay, then what is the Christian's basis for this faith in Jesus? And how might I have faith in Jesus being alive today? Well, in order to answer that question, there's a couple of steps we can take. The first one is to understand that the faith in the risen Jesus is based on historical evidence. See, God's not silly. He knows humans need proof or need evidence, not proof. He knows that we will not just take a blind leap of faith. And the evidence for the resurrection is compelling. And I'll give you an example uh, in a moment. Because there are many, many people who have stood there and gone, I'm not going to believe it, I need the evidence, but then gone away and looked at it all and come back having changed their mind. And one example of this, a person who did that is Jordan Monge, who is, was a staunch atheist, and she describes her intellectual journey. So I'm just going to describe it to you using her words. She said, I plunged into apologetics, devouring debates and books from many perspectives. I read the Quran and Richard Dawkins' God Delusion. I went through the skeptic's annotated Bible, and I looked up Christian rebuttals to apparent contradictions. But nothing compared to the rich tradition of Christian intellect. I'd argued with my peers, but I'd never investigated the works of the masters, Augustine, Anselm, Aquinas, and Descartes, Kant, Pascal, and Lewis. When I finally did, the only reasonable course of action was to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I committed my life to, be, to Christ by being baptized on Easter Sunday, 2009. Never once did I have to sacrifice my intellect for my faith. 
When confronted with the overwhelming body of evidence I encountered, when facing down the living God, it was the only rational course of action. I came to Harvard seeking veritas, truth. Instead, he found me. Now, in even more recent times, bright minds have come to examine that evidence for the resurrection and decided that it is indeed true. And it's partly due to the number of facts surrounding the resurrection that point to Jesus being alive as the most likely outcome by far. And sadly, we don't have loads of time to go into all the facts right now. But to give you a taster, I'm going to give you four facts that are largely uncontested by scholars, both Christian and none. Number one, that Jesus was crucified and died as a result. They put Jesus on a cross on that day, on that first Good Friday. They nailed him there and they made sure that he was dead through putting a spear into his side. It's well documented and it's the pinpoint of history for Christians. That's the first fact, that he died as a result of crucifixion. The second is that the tomb was empty. As the men and women went to search for the body of Jesus to embalm it, they found that their tomb was empty and Jesus' body was not there. And to debunk that fact, all the authorities would have had to do at the time would be to produce a body. So it is widely believed that Jesus' tomb was in fact empty. Number three, the disciples weren't deliberately lying about Jesus. They genuinely believed he was alive. The testimony of the disciples um, has aided the, the writing of the Gospels, which we use, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also has been kind of added to by sources outside the Bible who confirm things that they have said about the time when Jesus was around and his resurrection. And those disciples went to their deaths without denying Jesus. And you have to ask yourself the question, who would lie, who would lie and then die for a lie in the ways they did? if they weren't telling the truth. Number four is this, the conversion of the anti-Christian Saul of Tarsus to Christianity, which you can read about later in Acts. And so there are four facts that are largely uncontested about Jesus. And it's these facts, among many others, that have helped people come to a decision to put their faith in him. But I can't imagine that all of these facts or those four facts actually answer all your questions about God or Christianity or the church. And so I'm going to offer uh, an opportunity to join me this week on Just Looking, which is a course we're starting on Thursday. And if you're new with us, if you're considering Jesus, Christianity, God, I can only encourage you to come along and ask me any question you like. I don't get offended. I don't get upset. We've just completed a great Alpha course, which is the other course that we run. And Just Looking is another opportunity to come along and explore Jesus and ask more questions about him. So join me on Thursday. Let me know at the end if you want to come for that. Or if you know anyone else you'd like to invite, why not do that? So the historical evidence is the first thing we need to know about the Christian faith is, is that's what it's based on. And it's basis, uh, on that basis of evidence that Christianity stands or falls. Because if it didn't stand up to scrutiny, then the resurrection would be untrue. And this would all be a waste of time. And Christianity would be the biggest hoax in the world. But if it is true, then it is of infinite importance. The second thing we need to know about the Christian faith is that it's not, just, it's not just evidence that it's based on, it's also coupled to an experience that Christians have, a personal experience of Jesus. 
You see, when I, before I encountered Jesus, I experienced him in the lives of other people. I used to believe that to go to heaven, I had to earn my way to get there. I had to do good works and be good. But as a teenager, I noticed that the other Christians in my school didn't live that way. They seemed light. They seemed free, not striving to impress God or slavishly obey him. They were kind and peaceful, good to be around. And it wasn't until I heard the gospel that I learned why my friends were like this. Now, I placed my faith in Jesus in August 2004, and it was when I believed in my heart and professed with my mouth that I encountered Jesus personally for the first time and started my relationship with him. And I experienced change. The day before I did that, I was very false. I would have a mask for every different situation in my life. I would be a different person, if you like. But the day after, all that was gone. I knew I could be myself. I knew that the mask had lifted. I knew that Jesus loved me and I was secure and sure in him. I felt no more shame or guilt for the wrong that I'd done. I was a new creation. When I took that step of faith, I became secure. And I experienced that without seeing Jesus physically and touching the scars like Thomas did. And I am blessed as a result. I'm a different person. You could speak to people who knew me back then and then afterwards, and they would be able to tell you I'm a new creation. I'm completely different. And it was a great day. And so we've got evidence, and we've got an experience. And if it's helpful, just to illustrate that, in a court of law, to prove something beyond reasonable doubt, If you've got evidence, that is one thing, and people could make a decision based on that. But then if you have a witness, someone who can testify to something happening, then that clinches the case. And in a way, that's what we have as Christians. We have evidence which people can go and analyze and take a step of faith from. But then we also have these experiences of people who have put their faith in Jesus, who testify to changing, being transformed, being made new. Now, I, uh, like many others, uh, didn't come to that revelation and realization straight away. It took people to draw me there. And after a while, looking back, I can realize that it was God that drew me in. It was God that drew me to a point where I put my faith in Jesus and then became certain of my hope and my future. So it's okay if it takes a little bit longer than you might expect. (laughs) Now, when I was talking there about my story, you might have heard me mention the gospel And uh, the day I heard it, the day I heard the good news about Jesus and what he'd done on the cross. And so far over the last couple of weeks at King's, we've focused on the resurrection appearances of Jesus to his disciples. But now I really want to fill in the backstory for you um, with a video that we're going to watch. And we watched it recently, our youth group Impact, and uh, it is good. And hopefully it will um, fill in what happened around the uh, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus spiritually. And so I'm going to invite you to watch it with me. It's called Falling Plates, and God is the narrator, and he's talking to you. So if we could have that video, that would be great. So it's a challenging video because the gospel of Jesus, the good news, is challenging. And it's good news, but it starts off with bad news. And the bad news is, as the video explained, sin, sin is a reality. And sin separates us from God. It goes further than that, in fact. It offends God. And it it could be described as selfishness. It could be described as when we act in a way that goes against our best for relationships we care about or even our own selves. 
sin pollutes us, like you would have seen in the video, the ink in the water. It makes us feel dirty. It makes us unclean in that way. And it has a powerful draw that makes us pursue things that are harmful and not life-giving. And sin is in all of us. No one of us is perfect. In the Bible, it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans. And it makes you feel insecure and lost and uncertain about everything. And our sin started all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and it's permeated the entire world, and that's the reason Jesus came. And people are searching for a way out of it. People are searching for a solution in uncertain times. Many people, in fact, are searching for the truth. And Jesus says exclusively, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in a world that's overwhelmed with options and choices, Jesus says he's the only way and the only one who can satisfy us and give us fulfillment by wiping away our sins. He was the clean water, the one without any ink in it at all. And if you think about it, on that morning, people went searching for Jesus. People went searching at the tomb to find his body, but they didn't find him. They found him through faith in him many years afterwards and for the disciples in the moment. And since then, it would seem to me that everyone has been searching for Jesus, searching for the solution to their sins. But actually, in anyone else but Jesus, they haven't found it. And it points us back to him. And I don't know what you might be searching for this morning, but actually, I'd point you to Jesus, who can make you a new creation and fulfill you. He's the only person who never sinned. He's the only one who laid down his life for us. Jesus sets himself apart from all the other faiths in the world, because in all the other faiths in the world, you do something for God, but in Christianity, God serves you and has sent his son for you. And it's important that we know following him is the only way to salvation, and that following him, not only that, but it comes at a cost as well. There's a cost to following Jesus, because If Jesus becomes our Lord, to put it frankly, he must become Lord of everything, Lord of all. And there's a phrase an old friend of mine uses to describe this. He says, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And for Christians, it means putting Jesus first. It means making him Lord of our lives. And that means if you are considering becoming a Christian or putting your faith in Jesus, you might need to think about the things that would change if you did. As a result of submitting to his lordship and obeying him, there might be things that you know are wrong that need to change or attitudes that need to alter. And of course, he would help you with them once your faith is in him and his spirit comes to fill you. But that's worth considering. We always say on Alpha and just looking, don't become a Christian. Don't do it. Don't put your faith in Jesus until you've counted the cost, until you know what it will mean in your daily life. And it's a challenging moment at the end of that video when Jesus asks, will you follow me? Because he, the Son of God, is saying, will you act on what you now know about him? And can you make that decision? And you can make that decision in a moment. You can choose to follow him or reject him. However, again, it's important that we tell you in love this morning that rejecting Jesus leads to an eternity without him, without relationship with him in a place known as hell. And it would be unloving not to warn you of that. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Quincy, you've got evidence, you've given me your personal experience, a witness to Jesus, a cool video, okay, that's all good, but I want to know. No, I need that one last nod from God. 
who sent his son to die for me. I need to know that I need one last piece of evidence. Can you give it to me? Well, it's as if Jesus knew that when the Gospels were being written because in the last two verses in this chapter, in verses 30 and 31, it says this. The purpose of John's Gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, certainty in uncertain times for us comes from believing in Jesus. Certainty in the present, certainty in the future, certainty in the afterlife come from knowing the God who controls it all. And by believing in Jesus, we can receive forgiveness for our sin and relationship with God and eternal life. And you can too. You can trust the evidence of his resurrection and experience him for yourself. But the question is, do you believe in him? I'm going to ask the guys in the band to come back, um, and we're going to conclude in a moment. But if you are in that position where actually you think, do you know what? I do believe in him, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond. So I'm going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, to close your eyes just for a moment. And if you want to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and receive forgiveness for your sins, if you're a, a mucky glass of water, but you want to become a new one, a clean one, then you can do that right now. And you do that by praying this prayer in your heart, either or out loud, after me. And I'm, I'm just going to read it and then pause briefly so you can say it if you want to. And then we're going to finish by worshipping. So you pray this if you want to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I've done that are sinful in my life. I repent of my sin and turn away from all I know to be wrong right now. Thank you for living the life I couldn't live. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please baptize me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to live a life pleasing to you. Amen. Now, while your eyes are still closed, um, if you did respond, if you did pray that prayer to Jesus, if you don't mind putting your hand in the air just briefly so I can see, then that'd be great. And I'll come and speak to you afterwards. Great, you can open your eyes, and uh, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we conclude our service by worshipping. We're going to sing one last worship song together, so uh, let's do that, and over to Tim. <laughs>